starter pistol at a track meet, and I would take off. Once the car door swings open, I would take off running. But if you're like me when you're at a water park and you just start running, the lifeguard whistles at you, and you're running, and then you start walking, but you keep going the same speed. You're like, walk, okay. You remember that? You just you take off running, walk, got it. And you do like this weird little like penguin thing. That's me at water. You ever want to lose your brother or sister? Just bring them in the wave pool. Seriously, you come back for lunch, you're like, where's your brother? I don't know. He's like, help! You guys ever ride the lazy river? At a water park? You know, you're like, oh, this is lazy. <laughs> and then you come to the part where it's always cracks me up. Like there's like water sprinkling on you on the lazy river, and you're like, I don't want to get wet. <laughs> but you you paid money to go to a water park. <laughs> and I don't want to get wet. Oh man. I think they should put real alligators and real piranhas in there and change the name to the lazy river of death. <laughs> You're just floating along. Ooh, this is lazy. <laughs> Gone. You come back. Where's your sister? Your mom's like, or you go, your mom says, where's your sister? You're like, I don't know. Well, where'd you last year? The lazy river. That doesn't sound so bad. Of death. Oh, my word. Dude, I love water parks. I still do. I'm 30-something years old, and I still love water parks. My son's two and a half, and I can't wait to... He's been to a water park like six times, like before he was born. Come on, buddy. I love water parks. Is that clear? Okay, this one summer, you know, most, most attractions like... Great America or Universal Studios or you would go down the list of places to go and spend $8 on a Coke. <laughs> Any of those places, they always release a new attraction every year. Well, this one summer, Noah's Ark. And by the way, if Noah's Ark isn't in heaven when I get there, I'm also going to be ticked. <laughs> We're going to get there. I'm like, Lord, where's Noah's Ark? He goes, it's right there. Not the boat. Where's the water park? Dude, this place is amazing, okay? So every summer, this, they would release a new ride. Well, this one summer, they released this speed slide at Noah's Ark. It was a speed slide, okay? And this is how the ride went. It was ten stories tall, and it went... <laughs> straight down. You had to be 103 pounds to ride this ride. If you weren't 103, I, I, you died, I guess. I don't know. But they made you stand on a scale. So I get to the ride, and I'm a little guy, littler than I am now, and I stand on the scale. I'm like, oh, I'm 102. I was all bummed out because I couldn't ride. So I went to McDonald's. I ate four quarter pounders. I didn't feel very good. 
But I went back and I got on the scale and I was 103 pounds. He's like, the lifeguard, David Hasselhoff, he's like, you can ride. I'm like, sweet, yes. I can maybe die. I start taking off running like all the way up this huge, massive tower. And I'm like out of breath. Like the time I get there, I'm just like, like just totally, you know, just out, out of breath. Like, like I've been taking a CPR course or something, okay? Sydney, what have you ever? What's so funny, man? You okay? <laughs> listen, do you know CPR? You, okay, listen. Let me just tell you something, Sydney. If I fall or, or like trip up here or some paintbrush accident, no, no, no. Listen, why? Because the last thing I want to see before I go meet Jesus is you doing this. <laughs> Sydney, I'm just telling you, let me go to the Creator that made me. Heaven's a lot better than me than you walking over. I can help. <laughs> Hold still, Eric. <laughs> okay. I appreciate that. It was all. Oh man, back to the where I where was I? Okay, I'm going up this tower. I'm going up this tower, and I finally get up to the top. And I, you know, and I, this this tower is huge. You just look over this whole place, and it's swaying in the wind like this, like the gospel choir. <laughs> and I look over the edge. You guys, I look over the edge, and I'm like, I don't know if I should do this. So I sit down, and every water slide's got a little water area. Okay, there's a little water area. And sit down in the little water area, and I kind of look over the edge. I'm like, oh. And the lifeguard comes over, and he te- teaches me how I'm supposed to go down this speed slide. He says, Eric, well, he didn't know my name. He goes, sorry. <laughs> Are you a prophet? <laughs> and a lifeguard, yes. But just a backup plan in case, in case it rains or something. It's not supposed to rain for seven years. That's right. Another Bible story. Anyway, he, he tells me you've got to cross your arms like this and you've got to cross your legs like this and go down the slide. So I go, okay, I'll, go, I'll do this. So I do this. And he goes, well, I hope you don't die. <laughs> and as an adult, I, I've gone back to these water slides. Now I think about, you know why they make you cross your legs and arms like this when you go down those speed slides? You want to come up here? <laughs> She's right. So they just load you in your coffin. That's the punchline. We'll have a little chat later. So I'm laying here, and he comes over, and I sit down in the water area, and then he, he says, uh, are you ready to go? And I say, No. And so he goes, <laughs> kicks me over. And I'm going down this water slide like this, you know, just <laughs> straight down. Okay? Like, <laughs> okay? Like, 
Kind of sound like Aaron Neville when I was doing it, okay? You know the guy that sings the national anthem with the big mouth? say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleam. Aaron, are you part saxophone? How does that man's voice sound like an oboe? It is so beautiful. I weep every time I hear it. That's me screaming down the slide, scared out of my mind. I finally get to the edge and the bottom, and all the water just goes, sprays up. I'm like, Ugh. and I'm laying there. I'm like, man, that was awesome. And I call over to the lifeguard. I'm like, I'm not dead. And I look down and I go, man, I'm not wearing any swim trunks. <laughs> You see, before I'd gone down the slide, I had my arms like this, but this leg was doing one of these things. And my mom, she liked to bleach my swim trunks, and so maybe the bleach just kind of ate away at the stitching, but the right side of my swim trunks had completely ripped out. You know the inside swim trunks? Man, you know what I'm talking about? That ripped too. Went all the way over to my left leg, up this side of my body. It was neatly folded in my armpit, just chilling out there. And I'm laying in this chute like this. I've got a problem. And I'm trying to cover up with water. But that's clear. So I yell to the lifeguard. I'm like, hey, David, come over here. He comes running over. I'm like, walk. He's like, got it. He looks at me and he looks at me in the face. Now, I'm from Minnesota, you know, out here in Boston or the New England area, you guys generally use, unless you, you use punctuation when you speak, so I can totally understand him, but like, he, for, okay, back up here. This one guy, one time in New England, walked up to me. And he knew I was an artist, okay, like in this area. He must have been from Matt. He goes, I have a child. <laughs> what? He goes, Hey, Bishalis, I like that. I, sir, I don't. I'm, I'm from Minnesota, man. I don't even know what you're talking about. I like that. You like my art, okay? Yes, yes. Hey, Bishalis, what, what are, what are alleys? Hey, Bish motorcycles. You airbrush Harleys, okay? I understand. Now we're tracking. So this lifeguard walks over to me and he just rattles something off like this. What's the, I see the problem. I'll never forget that moment. Neither will he, probably. But I love water parks. It's an amazing set of circumstances. This, this water park, I didn't build it, I just get to go enjoy it. You know, in America, we have an amazing set of circumstances. We can go to water parks. Is that not crazy? We can go to water parks. Do you realize that 24 hours a day that you can walk into a grocery store and find clean food? You can stop at a gas station and find something to eat. You can go to places that 24 hours a day they have something to eat at a very cheap and affordable price. We can find food. Do you know what kind of, how blessed a circumstance we have just living in this country? 
Do you understand that we have safe electricity? Safe, usable, clean electricity that we can use without fear. Do you, do you understand the set of circumstances that we find ourselves in in this wonderful country called America, our home? Now, I don't know if you come from a different country or, 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 or you're an American or you're not, but if you even are in these borders as a student, or, but man, we're blessed. We are so blessed. You know that if somebody breaks into your dorm room or your house at night, there will be somebody that will show up on your behalf with a vest and, like, and a firearm to protect you and your things from whoever's trying to harm you. If this church starts on fire... In a matter of minutes, there will be trucks outside ready to rescue us and extinguish these flames. We've got an amazing set of circumstances. We live in an amazing set of circumstances. It's these circumstances we didn't choose, but we get the benefits of them. I mean, a long time ago, someone did choose them. Maybe a long time ago. But in reality, there are many things that bless our life and, and, and make us feel blessed. And sometimes I think we just take it for granted sometimes, but we're blessed, man. We have an amazing set of circumstances. The rest of the world and other places in this world, maybe even places in America, in areas where we sometimes forget to go underneath underneath underpasses and the side streets, maybe their circumstances aren't so great. I want to ask you a question. What do we do when we find people in circumstances that they didn't choose, it chose them, that they feel like they're drowning? If you want to get ready on that track, just go ahead and play it. You cut me down a tree brought it back to me and that's what made me see where I was going wrong you put me on a shelf and kept me for yourself I can only blame myself you can only blame me and I could write a song
that people find themselves in all over this world. In the physical world and in the supernatural world, there are things that people find themselves in these circumstances that they didn't choose. It chose them. And it's like this sea that they drowned in. They're hurting and broken. In all of the areas of their life, it's like they've been scuffed up and beat up. And they're drowning in this sea circumstances. They're drowning in the reality that they need someone to rescue them. And and I'm not sure if you came here by accident or if you're here because someone invited you, but if that's you and you find yourself in a set of circumstances that you didn't choose, it chose you. An abusive situation, a past littered with hurt or pain. Tonight's your night. I would just simply say to you that there is something that can change those circumstances. A peace that would pass all understanding. Sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances where we feel lost and we're drowning, and the answer that I found is the answer that many of people in this place have found. This world, there are circumstances that exist. People didn't choose it. They chose them. I mentioned today, and I'll mention again, that 30,000 children die every day because they can't get food. They die by the time you woke up, by the time you go to bed. 30,000 kids die because they're hungry. They don't choose those circumstances, yet that's the sea that they find themselves drowning in. Every 15 seconds, someone dies because they can't get what I hold in my hand right here. They can't go to the gas station and pick out what flavor of water they want. They can't water their lawns with this. They can't brush their teeth with it. They can't use this to play in at a water park. So every 15 seconds, someone dies because they just simply can't get what I hold in my hand. They didn't choose that circumstance. It chose them. The time you get done listening to a song or the time that the gospel choir finishes a song, 12 girls are sold into a trade in a district full of red lights. And this is... G-rated as I can make it, where they're picked out of a window, not like a new computer or a new pair of shoes, but like a piece of meat. They didn't choose those circumstances. It chose them, but that yet is the sea that they feel like they're drowning in. You see, everywhere you look, even abroad on the other side of the earth, there are circumstances that we can find. There are circumstances that we can point out, different stats, that people didn't choose, it chose them. There are circumstances that people didn't choose, it chose them right here in America, right here in Boston, right here in Quincy, in your own neighborhood. There are circumstances that they find themselves in and they're drowning. They need to be rescued. They feel lost and alone. In their greatest moment of need, You don't necessarily need to look on the other side of the earth to find these circumstances. We just need to look in the mirror. But yet the pain is the same. The details are different. Your pain and my pain, the seas that you have drowned in in your life, the seas that I feel like I drown in sometimes in my life, it's the same. 
The details are just merely what separate it. What will change this circumstance? What changes someone's circumstance? What changes this world? What changes your life? What changes the hopelessness? What changes the, 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 the hopeless marriage from a marriage filled with hope? What changes the lost son to one that is found? What changes the sea that we drown in to a sea that we walk upon? What changes those circumstances? What is it? What's the, what's the force on earth that does it? Is it money? Not too often it's money because actually I think it'll cost us something more than we could ever have. Is, is it fame? Sometimes there's nothing popular about it. Is it guilt? I would hope not. What we can use to, to rescue people from the sea that they drown in? Let me just tell you something. Whatever you use to motivate someone to do something, or whatever you use to rescue, you have to continue to use that force. If you use guilt to have people given an offering, you continue to use guilt to have them continue to give. Can I submit to you that the only force on this earth that we could ever found is a force that reigns supreme in heaven? And that's just simply love. Love is what changes our circumstance. Love is what people have written songs about, books about, novels about. Love is this force that literally is this hand coming down to pull us from the circumstance we drown in and to forgive us of the sin and the circumstance we brought upon ourselves. It's love. I mean, people have said long ago what love is really like, and even in God's Word, I think it's displayed in His Son the best. It's displayed in marriage and in unity, but, and everybody knows John 3.16, but in 1 John 3.16, we, we find this, we know what love is, is that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for another brother. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in circumstance, in need, and closes his heart against him. How can we say that God's love is in us? I mean, that's a convicting verse to me when I read that, but at the same time, it speaks of the power of love. There's this, an amazing, this amazing illustration. It's, it's like if we would fill the, ink with ocean, fill the ocean with ink, and every single one of us was a writer, and we all grabbed a reed of grass and it was a pen, and we dipped in the ink of the ocean, and we wrote God's love, about God's love, how big God's love is in the sky, because the whole sky was made out of paper. We couldn't, we couldn't even, we could, we'd fill the entire sky, and the ocean full of ink would completely dry up. More eloquently stated, for we with ink the ocean fill, or skies of parchment made, where every earth, where every man on earth, and a stalk of quill, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Or could the scroll contain the whole that will stretch from sky to sky? This unending, unendless love is, can I submit to the only thing that will change the circumstance. It will be the only thing that will change your family, your marriage. It will, only, it will be the only thing that will change those children, those people that are thirsty. It's love. Love is an interesting word. Love is, is a, there's a Hebrew word for love. It's achava. Everybody say achava. Achava. It kind of sounds like sometimes when you're at a, like a salad bar and you're getting something with, it's achava. Like, could I have a couple cucumbers and some achava? That's what it sounds like to me. 
But love is, a, is an, there's, there's all different types, and, but there's a word that the Hebrew people use, and it's achava. It's a two-base word. It's, there's two parts that make up this word. There's a root, or the base of the word, and then a modifier. And when we look at the, the, the base, it means love, and it means give. And then when we look at the lens through the modifier, it actually means I give, or I love. The very value of the Hebrew people down to the way that they even wrote the word love. Giving and love were synonymous. Giving and love were one and the same. Our currency is like that. If you have a dollar in your pocket, it's just a dollar. But when you give it, it becomes something more. Then the power of that dollar is seen when we give it. But in your pocket, when it just remains, it's just merely just a piece of paper. Love is the same. When love is just something we carry around as a thought or an idea, it really is just a thought or an idea. But when love is given, when love is freely given, it's freely sown, when it's shown with what we say, no, with what we do by our actions, when we give it out, that's when we realize the power of love. That's when we realize the power that love has. That's when we understand what John, 1 John 3.16 is talking about. We get to, to understand fullest and foremost when love is in action, when love is in motion, that's when we discover its power. I would ask you tonight that in your marriage, that, that your love would be something that is full of action. In your relationships, that your love would be something that's it's full of action. Because love is just an idea until the rubber hits the road. And people drown in circumstance until love rescues them. It's just the way it is. I, I can't illustrate this more powerfully than I did today but uh, by a moment that changed my life forever. I, I went to a festival and I, I filled out this... I, I was speaking and, and this person got up and he started talking about compassion. And you may have saw the table when you walked in, but it's about a child sponsorship organization. He just starts talking about all these stats that people drown in. And I stopped listening because I've heard about these sponsorship organizations. You know, to be honest with you, I'm a pastor's kid, and I got like a little leery of that. I didn't know then what I know now about compassion. Wall Street Journal did an amazing uh, third-party uh, um, accountability program with compassion. They ranked third, like in the nation. 83 to 86% of every dollar actually goes to this kid. This is the only child. This is Seth tonight. This is his only child. Many of you sponsored kids this morning. You're changing a life. You're, that's showing your love in motion. That's showing your love in action. You're uh, changing the set of circumstance by love. I did the same thing. I filled out the form. I put it on my debit card because I needed it to come out the next month. I put to death my excuse. But I still had doubt. So I had to go actually go visit my little girl. I had to go visit my little girl. I flew on a plane and we got to Managua, Nicaragua where the pastor of the local church picked me up and he took me to her house. And I'll never forget these words that her mother said to me. Thank you for rescuing my daughter. Thank you for being Jesus to my family. I'll never forget those words. They ring so true in my heart because when we really realize what Jesus 
did, when we know what love is, we look at what Christ did for us, we have a great example of what truly is love. What gets us in the way of loving? What gets us in the way of being that hand for someone else? What gets us in the way of being Jesus to this earth? What gets us in the way of being love for someone else? What gets us in the way of sponsoring a child on the other side of the earth? And don't kid yourself, these kids are in need. $400 a year is the average income on every child on that table. Compassion works all over this world. How many of you sponsored kids this morning? Raise your hand. How many of you sponsor a kid with compassion? Raise your hand. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of children across this earth. They eat because you allow them to, and God provides so you can provide. It's an amazing ministry. It's an amazing organization. I can't say enough about it, actually. Compassion's changing the world one life at a time. But what gets us in the way so too often of sponsoring a kid like this, loving the homeless person in our neighborhood, talking to our coworker three cubicles down, asking him and his broken family over for dinner, What gets us in the way of loving people in our comfort zone, out of our comfort zone, in our backyards and across the world in someone else's backyard? What gets us in the way of being love for somebody else? When I was a kid, when I was a kid, I I had this little stuffed animal. He was Peter the Rabbit. I took him everywhere. How many of you remember what you had when you were a kid? A small little blanket or something that you brought everywhere. That You brought them everywhere. We probably still have them. But it was like your little security buddy and you just took them everywhere. For me, it was Peter the rabbit. This little stuffed animal. Cute little bunny. And I was swimming in my swimming pool. You know, the kind that um, if, you, if the lawn slopes like this, you have the deep end. You know, the one little kiddie pool? That was my swimming pool. Many of you, did, have you had that swimming pool when you grew up too? The one they filled with the garden holes and you had to wait for the sun to warm up the water? Because you're like, Mom, come on. Are you kidding? I'm swimming in the swimming pool with, with my little stuffed animal in my back pocket. And he falls out face down in the swimming pool. And I freak out. I know rabbits can't swim. <laughs> so I go and bang on the patio door and I say, Mom, you've got to come help me. you got to come. Peter the rabbit is laying face down doing the dead man's bunny float. and I, He's in the deep end, Mom. The, the, the yard goes that way. That's past the ropes. I can't go out there. She comes over and she says, What's the problem? Picks him up and he looks all soaked and more lifeless than ever. She goes, He's not real. He's okay. And I'm like, Oh, not real. And I was convinced that my little stuffed animal, my little Peter the Rabbit, died in the backyard. So we had a funeral service. My mom tried to convince me that he was real. I, I said, or that he wasn't real. I was like, he was real, and he passed away. Here lies Peter the Rabbit. We made a little cross, dug him a little grave, and he's in the backyard of some guy's house in Green Bay. But that little rabbit was everything to me. That was everything to me. I loved that rabbit. That was my treasure. I took him everywhere. A little while later, when I was in high school, I saved up working 
construction. I worked construction summers and summers and all through the year. And working construction so I could save up to buy the stereo system. I love music. I have a degree in music. Like, dude, I wanted to have the stereo system with these speakers that like, literally were so big they would rattle kidney stones loose. I mean, massive speakers with massive power. I wanted these, this, this sound system in my bedroom to where my dad knocked on the door and said, turn it down. I couldn't even hear the knock that loud. And so, I saved up and I bought it. I bought this sound system. And as a kid, it was like, it was like 2000 bucks or something. It might as well have been a million dollars. It took me like two summers. And I had a waterbed. Moving on. You comfortable? Yes, I'm very comfortable. Waterbeds are crazy. After I saw Jaws, I didn't want to sleep in it. I had a waterbed and I had a big dog at the time and we're wrestling, me and the dog and the, the little talon of the, the animal had kind of like, the dog, the claw had kind of punctured the waterbed and I went away to play football at a football game and I came home and the stereo and the electronics and water and it all mixed and it all was bad. Started on fire and it just shorted out melted together and I literally remember like taking this stereo and going to the trash can and going but that was that was my most favorite thing that I ever had. I mean, at that time, that was the one possession that I absolutely loved. It was my treasure. When I was in high school, or excuse me, when I was in college, I was in a punk band, okay? And uh, we were in a three-piece punk band. We were called the undergrads. <laughs> we were awesome. I, well, not sort of. In our minds, okay? We were awesome. And I, and I had a, and I sang and played the guitar, and we had a bass player and a drummer, and this is what we did, and I had uh, this, this Ibanez guitar, and if you know anything about uh, punk rock music, if you don't have a Gibson Les Paul custom, you, you're just not in a punk band. So, like, I went to sign up for my school's financial aid, and they said, um, well, you just got to sign here, and you'll get an extra $3,000 for whatever you need. I'm like... Like, whatever you need? Like, what do you mean? Like, books or whatever would enhance your collegiate experience. Like, like a guitar? Sure, Eric, we see that you're, have a, you're studying music, if that's what you need, then I'm like... <laughs> Went straight to Guitar Center. I looked at the wall with my mouth just like drooling, and there's this Gibson Les Paul Black Beauty with the three pickups pearl inlays and the double binding. This, is, this guitar is the same guy that, uh, from Guns N' Roses. If you ever know who the guy Slash is, the guy with the top hat, he's sometimes on TV, he's like, that guy? That's his guitar. Slash. He plays that guitar. And I'm like, I gotta have that guitar. So I buy it. We do our first show. One show. And I go back out, and I, we, we get done with the, the show. I go load some stuff into the car. I go inside to get my guitar, bring it out to the car, go back in. I'm grabbing my amp, loading stuff out, and go back out to the car. And my Delta 88, the windows are smashed in, and the guitar is gone. And that, was, that was my guitar, man. 
I love that thing more than my girlfriend. And that's true. That's, no, it's not my wife, but... But I, that was my treasure. I took that guitar everywhere. I love that guitar. My wife and I got married, and we were going to buy our first car. And, and like all good marriages, there was something we had to do. It's called compromise. So I wanted this Volkswagen GTI. She wanted the new Beetle. And, and we were going to buy a new car. You know the little Beetle with the flower vase and stuff in the dash? She really wanted it. She wanted to put flowers in there. I wanted this Volkswagen GTI. Now, they were both used cars. It wasn't like we were buying a brand new car, but we had to choose one or the other. And like all good marriages, we compromised and we got the Beetle. <laughs> Guys, you know what I'm talking about. So I was like, I'm not going to just put... I, no flower vases allowed in this car. So I, li- I like working on cars. So I uh, put a Gretti turbo timer and lowered it. And new new speed shocks. And this turbo upgrade and a side mount intercooler. Tinted the windows. I'm up to horsepower by like 95. Made this Beetle bad. <laughs> Short shift kit. And like people would pull up and be like, nice Beetle. I'm like, nice car. <laughs> I'd speed away. This is awesome. My wife and I were driving home for, uh, for Christmas, and this guy's Ford truck in front of us, like an F3000 with like six wheels across the back, <laughs> something fell off his car. Like some bumper, right? Some piece of metal, and I wasn't paying attention, and we ran over it and did like this big Titanic deep V hole in my oil pan. I didn't know that I hit something. I just heard a loud crash, and we just kept going. And there's not a lot of gauges in those Beetles. You got gas and RPMs. There's really nothing else. The oil light comes on. I go, yeah, we'll just we'll check it here in a minute. So we didn't make it a minute. You don't need to know much about cars, but when well, they need oil. So it smelled like somebody was making waffles underneath the hood, and the car seized up, and the engine was drunk. Just absolutely junk. And that car was totaled. And that car was junk. It really was. But that was like I washed it every day. I took care of it every day. I'm 33 years old. And all through my life, I've had different treasures. Different things that I would say that that was it in my life. And I stand before you right now and I don't have any of them. I think what gets us in the way of loving, what gets us in the way of being Jesus, what gets us in the way of being this hand for somebody else is our treasure. The biggest barrier to entry of you walking where God wants you to walk or loving people more with reckless abandonment. Don't forget that the early church and the Christians, they didn't know that they were Christians or the early church because they had a fish on their Yukon or their car. They knew because they loved they knew because how reckless they loved one another. That's how they knew who you were. And that's how they knew you were a follower of Christ. But now, in our culture, there's so many treasures that we put in front of love. There's so many things that get in the way of us truly loving. Sometimes it's stuff. For me, when I sponsored that little girl, our first child that we sponsor. I had to skip Starbucks. My wife and I had to split one instead of buying our own. We had to shut off the cable at our house and, and, and not get all these extended... So 
So we only had 112 channels, not 240. Oh, man, that was rough. But in reality, like what gets us in the way of loving, what gets us in the way of being that picture for somebody else, being that hand that rescues, truly living out 1 John 3.16 so we can be a model of what love is, to lay down our lives when we have abundance and we use of it. It's our treasure. Your treasure will get in the way of you loving people like you're supposed to love. Sometimes you treasure your time. Sometimes you treasure your pride. Sometimes we treasure our position. Sometimes we treasure our clothes. Sometimes we treasure our stuff. Sometimes we treasure our checkbooks and what's in them and our bank accounts. Sometimes we treasure things. But can I remind you that when Jesus was nailed to the cross and He died for you and for me so you don't have to drown in the circumstance that you find yourself in, so the sin that we drown in, that we can be forgiven and move forward, the sea that other people face on this earth, they can have hope. Do you realize that when He was doing all that on the cross, do you know what His treasure was? His treasure was you. He didn't treasure His body. He didn't treasure His kingdom. He didn't treasure anything over you and over me. I think sometimes when we walk through the streets of Quincy, when we walk through the streets of this state, when we walk on the other side of the earth, when you walk by that table, do you know what, what keeps you from sponsoring a kid? It's certainly not the financial integrity of Compassion International. It's certainly not the fact that they're changing lives. Been around since the 50s. I mean, they're working all over the globe. They empower the local church. Kids get food, medical clothing. They do it all in Jesus. It's certainly not all of the things that they do well. What gets us in the way of loving our neighbor, the person that's a couple lockers down at school, or, or, or this kid on this packet like Seth, what gets us in the way of, of just fulfilling that is love, is our treasure. That's what it is. So I'm asking you tonight, when you leave this place, I want to ask you a question. What do you treasure? Because I think Jesus says it best in Matthew 6 when He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and thieves and steel where rust can decay. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where thieves cannot break in and steal where moth cannot eat away, where rust cannot decay. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your heart is, there will also be your treasure. I'm 30-something, 33 actually, years old, and I stand here before you, and I've lost a lot of treasures. But my little girl in Managua, Nicaragua, named Crystal, and her mother, Isabella, and her brother, Darwin, and her father... They're part of my treasure. And that's something no moth, no rust, no thief could ever take away. As you leave this place, I'm just going to remind you there are kids that are waiting for be- people to, be re- to rescue them, to be that hand. If you sponsored a kid today, I gave you a challenge to take another kid with you. I'm going to give you another challenge. Maybe you should take another kid because you know two people in your life. Maybe you couldn't sponsor a kid today at college. 
when I spoke here, you couldn't sponsor a kid, but you know somebody in your life that can. Maybe you should take one of these kids and take it with you and get that kid sponsored. Ask your mother or father or somebody else to go and help you and do this together. Parents, I would challenge you to sponsor a kid for every kid you have. Grandparents, I would challenge you to sponsor a kid for every grandchild you have. There's no trailer hitch on a hearse. We never see like a funeral possession and then all of a sudden the, the, the U-Haul truck is falling on behind. There's never a trailer on a hitch on a hearse. I think we need to live with the end in mind and just remember this, that the people that are in your life locally and globally, what will keep you from rescuing them, what will keep you from loving them, what will keep you from being that hand for somebody else in their greatest moment of need when they're hurt, broken, drowning in a sea of circumstance, is your treasure. And so I'm asking you, what's your treasure? And I'm asking you tonight to maybe ask God that He'd help you treasure the things that are most important, the things that He treasured on the cross and that's people. Father God, I pray tonight as we came together as many different churches, many different people, under you, Lord, I pray, God, that you will continue to use Unite Boston to do exactly that. That you use this school to equip and train, mentor, and challenge students to go out in the marketplace and the mission field that the people that are here, God, that are visitors, Lord, that they would... that they're here tonight for this event, God, that all of us, Lord, would walk from here truly looking at our lives and understanding what truly is important. Give us the strength to get the stuff out of the way and to treasure, treasure what you want us to treasure. It's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you go... And as you're leaving, and I'm going to have uh, court come and just dismiss you. But when you go, there's a there's a children on my table right over there. I bring them everywhere I go. If you fill out the form and you turn it back tonight, I have a print of what I've painted for you here. And I'd like to give that to you. If you're going to take a child to, to, to get one sponsored, it's very simple. You take it with you. There's a due date that you have to get it back. There's an envelope inside. I'm responsible for these children, so... Please take them if you're going to change your life. Don't take them if it's just going to end up something that you just took. I love you guys so much. Students that were here today, people that are visiting tonight, I'm humbled and honored to be here in your community. I'm humbled and honored to be here to share our lives. Like two trains on a track that have scraped off some paint one another. I pray that we go as iron sharpens iron and we would treasure truly what people treasure, what Jesus treasured, and that's each other. I love you guys. Thanks so much for your support. Well, thank you. Eric will be around for a little bit, um, and then he needs to get on the road. So if you uh, want to say hello to him, you can uh, after the service. Can I just encourage those, especially the students that were here today and heard about the spiritual journey he's been on for the last several weeks in his prayer life. If you will commit to praying for him over the next few days, will you just come and let him know that before you leave? And don't, if you can, and your prayer list is full already, but, but if you come and let him know you're praying for him, just, just let him know tonight before you go. Thank you so much for coming. It's been wonderful to have you. Go in peace. Have a wonderful weekend.
collection of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with rain.